it's something that needs to be addressed and yeah. we're not i don't think we're paying enough attention to it because it's a it's a it's a, a discussion that makes everyone really uncomfortable because g'day and welcome to the farms vice podcast with your host jack creswell whether you farm it service it or just love it this podcast is for you We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the farm's advice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Advice and let's get into this episode. Very good. Well, Julian, welcome to the Farms Advice podcast. Um, in the studio on floating water at the moment, I am. How are you going though? I'm good, thanks, Jack. And I'm in the schoolroom, as you can probably tell from all the posters behind me and the cat tree, because the cats have to come to school now too. Yeah, it gives me flashbacks of school of the year. Um, and only a few more weeks to go for homeschooling <laughs> for school of the year kids. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we've got a week up in Alice Springs, not next week, but the week after. And yeah. technically there's another week of school after that, but in the, in the 13 years I've been doing it, we've never attended that week of school. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we did. We used to compile it into four or five weeks, do all the book work. Well, now it's sort of managed well. I don't know how the internet plays out in it. Um, it's probably a lot harder to. Yeah. It, it is really hard to cram it into those couple of, weeks like and and knock off early because you got lessons we've got three lessons a day pretty much and you have to be on board and and um the way the assessments and everything work out so it's a lot harder to fudge it like we used to do in the old days absolutely well let's talk about farming and as yourselves out there you probably don't refer to it as a farm your property your station tell me a little bit about your family operation you've got going there what what do you have on it um, who's involved and how do you do it? Right. So we've got about a million acres uh, in the far north of South Australia, owned and operated by, we're purely family, uh, yep. owned by the parents-in-law. Um, my husband and I are here full-time as managers, I guess you'd call us. We run about four and a half to 5,000 head of, of Charbray breeders, um, self-replacing beef cattle herd. And yeah, um, don't have a lot of staff. We usually have to wait for the kids to come home from boarding school to get our mustering done. Um, so yeah, we're living the dream, doing it all ourselves. Relying on some timely mustering for sure. Um, I've heard a fair few. Well, we used to do that as well. Um, mustering was always put into the school holidays. And um... yeah, it, it it's such a challenge because the place is so big and the terrain is really rough yeah it's a big ask to get to get inexperienced people to come here and get on a motorbike and, and be efficient and effective it's really not fair to them and it's just really expensive and frustrating for us as well so we stick with people who know what they're doing so you're probably the most remote person that we've had on the podcast um but what you posted on twitter of late or throughout the course of your Twitter life, um, X now, about hiring for labour, the difficulties about getting the right sort of resume through that will actually be able to do the job, um, what you're looking for. How has it been for when you actually did need labour? Um, how do you get around those hurdles or have you stopped? What did you work out? Oh, well, the 
because we're such a small, I guess, workforce here, we don't have a big dock camp or anything like that. And we don't work yeah. with horses. We're purely motorbikes. So that puts a lot of people off because for a lot of people going to a remote station, part of the attraction is they get to be with horses. Like we call it the McLeod's Daughters factor because um, yeah. people watch McLeod's Daughters back in the day and they're like, I'm going to go on and jump on my, my noble steed and, and chase 10 head of cows around. Um, and people get lonely because we don't have a big, big stock camp like the it, it, and and trying to fit into someone else's family can be a real challenge so yeah. you have to sort of look for someone who's either a bit more mature and and likes to be by themselves or you know you try and employ a couple but then what do you do with the partner if they're not proficient or interested in working outside um, I've never had a governess Maybe next year, fingers crossed, if we can find the right couple. Um, we've interviewed a few, so I'm, I'm mildly hopeful that we might get next year to take the pressure off me a bit. But, yeah, finding staff in our particular circumstance is a real challenge. With your advocacy, like what other challenges are you finding being uh, quite remote out there? I saw a, a tweet the other day or something talking about you saying you're probably one of the most remote people in Australia, but you're also one of the most connected uh, with the network you've sort of built up, um, especially on Twitter anyway. What what challenges have you yeah. come across? Or... The challenge is, is for me personally is when I go to an event, like go to a conference or something, everyone knows who I am because I believe that part of being an effective advocate is you have to put your name to it. You can't behind a picture of a car or a horse or something, you have to be visible to be taken seriously and to have that authenticity. But a lot of people I interact with don't. And, and that's their, they can do that if they want to because they don't have to have the same opinions and everything as me. But everyone knows who I am. And then people come and talk to me because obviously we've spoken together online, but I have no idea who they are and I feel really bad. <laughs> and then like people have different usernames or different handles and then like they go, oh, I'm such and such. Like I think at conferences, we need to start having people's like social media user handles of yeah. their Instagram or their or their Twitter account would make it a lot, a lot more user friendly. But um, it, doing the the advocacy thing, social media is has been amazing for that. It, it's I really enjoy building relationships with people and learning new things. And you know, so many people are so generous with their time and their knowledge. Um, and that's been really, really great. And, and that's what I look forward to. When I log on every day, I want to see what everyone else has been up to. I want to see if there's anything new I can learn. Um, and the fact that people enjoy what I do, that's just sort of an added bonus. Like they enjoy things that I take for granted. And that's always a really good grounding experience that yeah. in some senses, the word, I am really lucky to live where I live and do what I do because a lot of people don't get to have those experiences. So I like sharing it with people. It's super hard. I don't know for many listeners if they follow you on Twitter. I'm assuming there'd be a fair few out there. Um, but even with your your cameras looking at the cattle and you've got the galahs or cockatoos coming in. I actually, when I moved to London, I had a mate doing some cool posts on Instagram and I was like, shit, that doesn't like it doesn't look like that, surely. Um, but like of the same area of where we come from, like that's cool. Um, but you go home and you sort of do take it for granted, don't you? Um, what you do and who even might like to see what you get up to. Um, and it's, I see it as being a huge long burn to get them into Australian agriculture in some way or another. 
um, whether they're in an office job and they it use is, it is sort that of photos. long burn. It, and it is, and it's it's something that sort of Ozag sort of missed the boat on quite a fair bit because we didn't take advantage of the internet when it was first developed, mainly because none of us had internet access, and and so the the activists and and, and lobbyists and those sort of people all got the jump on us in that sense. So they became voices of, of authority in our business, in in yeah. our area of expertise. So when people were looking for someone to speak about you know, farmland or anything like that, they'd be talking to people from Sydney or Melbourne or, or a university on yeah. the East Coast, which we're the experts here. You need to talk to us. And and so I think that is sort of the long burn side of it. Like you need to establish your authenticity and people recognise that you're not, like people can smell bullshit a mile away. They'll know if you're putting it on. They'll know if you're not genuine. And, you know, you have to put up with a lot of, negative from both inside the industry and out in order to build that sort of reputation where you become a voice of authority and i don't pretend to know everything about everything there's a huge scope of ag i know nothing about that's why i've worked really hard to build a network so if someone wants a a question about eggs i can find an egg producer to answer that question for them if someone wants to know something about irrigation i can find an irrigator it, and that's the beauty of being able to build a network through social media and and become the experts again. Yes, yeah, weird, isn't it? Like we're sheep operators, livestock, um, but that I know like how many oysters are produced across Australia or something, and these weird facts. But it's quite cool to know the overall sort of what's happening um, from running the podcast. Always looking up weird stuff, what's going on in agriculture, what sort of what. Do you think the big, biggest challenge is for advocacy and like using these platforms appropriately, trying to get the right message out there um, for us as farmers to convey what we're doing um, in a genuine way, but in a positive light as well, trying to amalgamate the two? Yeah, I think the biggest problem that we've got as an industry, as an ag industry, is that we're not very good at working together. No. Uh, and, and if you've had anything to do with sort of representative bodies like state farming organisations or peak industry councils or the NFF is a really good example because it encompasses nearly all of Australian agriculture. So every different industry has its own issues. So finding certain policy points that everyone is in agreement on is almost impossible. And, and, and a lot of it we're to blame for that because when I first started on social media, I had a, a really sort of like, I wouldn't call it a bad attitude, but I had sort of the wrong approach. I was like really poor farmer me, no one understands, everyone hates me, um, we don't get the right support, the people in the cities don't appreciate us. But when you start talking to people from urban areas, none of that is true. Cars all day going on boars runs or checking the animals and we're stuck in our own thoughts. And then when we socialise, we socialise, with people who are the same as us and they just reinforce those ideas because they feel and think the same things because they don't talk to people from urban areas they don't talk to people from different professions and I think that's if you're going to be on social media and advocate for your industry you have to learn about other people as well because there's no point in trying to tell them something if you're not listening to what they're saying to you because you know agriculture doesn't always get it right look at what we were doing 50 years ago some of those practices were terrible 
And we can't ignore that and hide from that, but we're learning all the time and we're fixing our mistakes and we're improving every day. And one thing that a lot of people don't understand is we're spending our own money on it. You know, yeah. like we pay levies and, and we get, um, you know, all those sorts of things. And we, in, we are investing in our own industry. So I think if you're a person in agriculture, give the other industries, ag industries, a bit of a break. You might not agree. And irrigators on the Murray versus at the top end versus the bottom end is probably a really good example of this because they got very different values and very different opinions about how the Murray should be managed. But um, yeah, having those sort of stouches in, in public sort of um, not degrades us all, but it confuses the issue yeah. because the real issue is, is we want, policymakers to listen to farmers yeah. as a whole, not we want policymakers to listen to me. Yeah, I think that's pretty true as well. Like in the realms of um, like it goes really dry, raising money. I see it as an agricultural sort of cycle. One farmer in WA donates the hay to the New South Wales farmer that's really dry. Um, and then when WA is dry, we donate it back. And it's only us, there's no ever new sort of money coming into it and it's now that person's lacking hay in the east and WA's got it but they're utilizing it well enough um but just making sure that we're getting sort of outside support and how that sort of works the message of like agriculture I find it can't get out as well because it's only agriculture farmers relating to it commenting um retweeting it so we like that content. So obviously it's going to be served to us on the platforms mm. more than it is for those in the city. Do you think that we should be trying to direct these posts towards people in the city, the consumers, the larger majority of the consumers anyway, um, or should we be focusing on what we do best to portray the best sort of image? Well, the... It, it's a, it's sort of like a marketing question, really. Like you yeah. have to identify your target market. Like some people want to talk to fellow producers and that's great. Some people want to engage with with um, urban audiences and educate them and that's great too. And, you know, as the next generation, probably because you're a bit younger than me, Jack, so your generation and those younger than you move into it and they've grown up with social media and marketing and those sorts of things and they study this stuff sort of stuff at uni. Ag as a whole will get better at doing those sorts of things yeah. because, you know, I'm on, a, I'm on a couple of industry boards with some older people and trying to have discussions around PR and, and marketing and those sorts of things can be quite challenging because they don't really understand what it does and why it's important and then won't invest in it. And you sort of can see that, you know, at your RDC level and those sorts of things as well. And, you know, they just grew up in a different time and, you know, if we're passionate enough about it, we'll win them over, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it there's the thing about agriculture and the thing about social media is there is enough space there for everyone to do whatever they like. And I've never really gone out with a focus, like with an actual idea to say, oh, I'm going to educate people and I'm going to teach people this. I just want to sort of have fun and yeah. talk to people. And I've found that, people from all walks of life really respond well to that. And so if they, if they like you as a person, they'll listen more to what you're saying. So I think some of the preachier sort of, you know, you don't appreciate farmers, you have to thank us without us, there'd be nothing. That message doesn't get a lot of cut through. 
No. Because you don't, it, people don't acknowledge that, you know, if you're living and you're struggling to make rent and you're, you know, you, you're in, in insecure work in the city, thanking a farmer is the last thing in your mind. You've got other issues that you need to worry about. So we have to acknowledge that if we're not the most important people in the conversation, the people we're talking to are. So you, you recently went down to the NFF AGM, correct? I did, yes. And I it was a really good vibe. I really enjoyed it, actually. Yep. Everyone was super friendly and positive, except for Minister Watt. He was not very positive. That was a bit <laughs> disappointing, actually. Yep. But um, other than that, I had a great time, you know, um, lots of time for networking. Presentations were quite interesting um, and a good mix. And, you know, I really think that more farmers, like I know people go, oh, NFF, so boring. But you're not going there like because it's the NFF. I think you should go there. Every farmer should make the trip at least once. Like make it like your your agricultural mecca. Take yeah. the opportunity just once to go to an NFF AGM and see what it's all about. Meet the people and just sort of appreciate the scale and scope of what it is that they're trying to do on our behalf. What's in it for the farmers attending the like NFF AGM? Is it the networks to benefit from or is it just to go in there open-minded um see what you can make up or like should you even need to take anything home i think there's a couple of things farmers could probably take away from it the networking's one thing because you get to in in that room in that conference hall there's everyone from government from the top of representative industry to fellow producers to you know ag big wigs in ag businesses and all that sort of stuff and you can and it's a really friendly relaxed place you can march up to the ceo of elders if you like and have a yarn to him like no one's pretentious you know yeah. it's it's you know it's it's that sort of place um but i think it, farmers would get an appreciation of 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 the role more of the nff like their job is to look right forwards into the future to see what's going to affect us in 10 15 20 years time um, if you're worried about things that are happening right now, then NFF probably hasn't done their job properly 20 odd years ago. Yep. That's that's how agricultural advocacy, advocacy works. If you've got an immediate issue, you take it to your peak industry council or your state farming organisation. I believe, I could be wrong, but NFF's job is to make policy positions that are kind of carry us through into the future. And when you attend an NFF conference, you sort of get a bit of a feel for that. Because you like you listen to stuff and you go, oh, that's the most biggest load of bullshit that I've ever heard. And then four years later, it becomes reality, and you've already know about it because you heard about it at an NFF conference. So that's why, even if you can't go to a conference, you need to read the newsletters and read the reports and at least see what people are talking about. And if you don't agree with it, join a SFO, join a Peak Industry Council, and get involved, get your voice heard because they can only, NFF and any sort of representative body can only do what its members want it to do. So if you don't like it, get involved. And also probably the strength in numbers um, through there. So I'll have to probably go down to the next one, hopefully. Uh, they never just seem to line up with our sort of farm work. Um, all the events sort of come in together. So imagine a lot of the problem is that for the farmers, but Let's step back into social media, um, being challenged on there or like putting yourself out in the open. What was your pivotable sort of fuck it moment um, when you didn't really care what people thought and you just started putting yourself out there? Because I've I had 
So I've had it in stages um, when I was in London to start the podcast and more so recently to be the face of social media on mine. Um, how did you get about doing that? Because your generation's not um, one for social media, like as a general consensus, if you went around, how did you do it? I, I think what it came down to is that I was just, I was really lonely and isolated and especially Twitter with that conversational sort of thing, it, it just seemed like a really good place to meet people and have a chat. And it just sort of grew from there. And anyone who knows me in real life, what I type on Twitter and, and how I communicate digitally is 100% the same way as I speak in person. There's no, I don't change myself between online or in real life unless I'm like speaking in a public forum or something I sort of have to tone it down a bit sometimes um but you 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 can't you 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 can't pretend to be something you're not so you may as well just say fuck it I'm going to be myself and if people don't like that well that's tough shit for them um especially on a platform like Twitter where you can block people but muting muting is my favorite favorite function because they're like going, ah, oh, raving, carrying on like lunatics, and you're oblivious. You're in in a peaceful zone, enjoying yourself, and yeah. they're not getting any response, and it drives them fucking mad. And mute function is my absolute favorite because they're like, oh, she must be able to see my tweets. She's still following me, or you know, I'm not blocked. I don't care. Do what you like. <laughs> Free country. <laughs> have Have you come across activists online? Because I'm sort of surprised, bloody touch wood everywhere that. I haven't too much with my posts. I get the odd one every now and then, but no sort of targeting. What about yourself? Oh, there's a couple of really well-known activists who are really anti-LiveX. Yeah. But both sides have sort of learnt their lesson from from the from the really bad days, I guess I'd call it, of the the cattle snap ban back in what was it, 2011, yeah. when things got really unpleasant and heated. And farmers have learnt this as well. You can't rise, or you, sorry, you can't lower yourself to their level and start calling names because you know how easy it is to take a screenshot and take, post something out of context and all of a sudden you look like a raving lunatic. Um, I know, I do know that some activists follow me and that's another thing about social media. Not everyone who follows you is your friend. Yep. A lot of people follow you for nefarious reasons and you have to be aware of that. And that's another sort of fuck it moment. If people have that little time like you know that little to do with themselves that they're going to make a nuisance of themselves and, and take secret screenshots well they're obviously something wrong with them so you can't change um but since COVID there's been a real change in the activist sort of landscape especially animal activism because for the first time in a generation things got really hard for people and they understood what hardship was and a lot of that activism basically dried up overnight because a lot of activism, I believe, especially like the, um, you know, the, the hardcore vegan and you know, animal activists comes from a place of privilege. They're well-fed, they've, they've got money, they don't, don't, don't have to worry about anything else, they don't have to worry about making a living, and so they pick a cause, a crusade, because they want to feel fulfilled, and everyone loves animals, so that's the path they go down. But since COVID, they've sort of really, really dried up, which is good, because I think you know, it's all fine and good to to advocate and lobby for something that you're passionate about. But when you're 
ringing up people's places of work to tell them that, you know, employees are terrible people because they kill animals and those sorts of things. Like that's not normal behaviour and that should never be allowed or encouraged. How do you think social media can sort of combat what we're doing, showing the positive light into it? Um, it's always not the easiest to show what we find difficult on farm online um, because we don't enjoy every aspect of what it is, but some things need to be carried out. Um, for the welfare welfare of the animals, how do you see that playing a role in um, like full transparency of what we sort of do? I sort of feel like we are pretty well there to the transparent levels um, and still getting attacked on that sort of things and bringing people along on the journey throughout the different sectors as well. I, I, yeah, I think a lot of it is is that the people who attack they're in a very, very minority, but they're yeah. very vocal. And again, they're coming from a place of privilege. They've got nothing else to do with their time. Um, the problem with it doing it on social media is it gets elevated and circulated and, and everything else. So it feels like it's much bigger than it is. I think we're pretty much at full transparency. If you're a, a, especially a livestock producer, if you're a livestock producer in this day and age and you'd be ashamed to do any of your practices in front of people, then you probably need to look at what you're doing because Animals are animals. They're going to do things. They're going to get into places that you can't always get them out of, or they're going to hurt themselves and they're going to need to be euthanized, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the things that you have to do, like pulling calves and that sort of thing, it's not pleasant. The beauty of being able to do it like in front of someone, you can say, this is the reason why we have to do that. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to minimize. And you can explain it one on one. Some of those things, again, don't really have a place on social media because it's so easy to take them out of context and it's so easy to manipulate an image and those sorts of things. But um, yeah, if you're just doing your normal farming stuff, none of us do anything that you should be ashamed of or be afraid to admit to because everything we do has a purpose. We're not out here being cruel to animals or destroying the environment for no reason. Um, and, and what people don't understand is that this is our business. We're here to make money. We're not going to go and do things that cost us money just for shits and giggles we're just it, it is it's it's crazy um so yeah i don't think that's sort of that big of an issue anymore when people say oh we demand full transparency um they think it's a gotcha moment they think that's yeah. you know that we're all still doing something really terrible but it's like yeah come on come out to my farm we can drive around and look at the cows just laying under a tree eating grass i don't care like yeah and it's and once We've had city people here and, you know, they're like, oh, branding or earmarking, those sorts of things. And you want to explain to them why and how, and they see how the cattle especially react when it's done and they just sort of get up and walk away and they don't appear to be in any pain or anything like that. And you, now we've got access to pain relief and those sorts of things. They're like, oh, well, that's, you know, fine. It's just that lack of understanding. And, you know, and I think a lot of it is as people, are not as interested in what we're doing as we think they are. But, you know, the vast majority of people don't give a shit. They've got a lot bigger things to worry about than what a farmer is doing on his farm. Yeah, I think that goes a long way to how far, how much work we've done as farmers, producers, as industry boards, organisations. Um, we can sort of give them the information now and also take them out to the farm, go one better there. But... I want to ask you why, why do you do what you do like within your farming, your property? 
um, what you do there, but also advocacy. And there must be a little bit behind your statement on Twitter of um, making a life, not a living. Why, why are you so passionate about it? Um, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't born to this. So my parents are from town. So I'm a town girl. Like it was a small country town, but like when we first moved here, we didn't have 24 hour power or 24 hour water. Um, the phone only worked occasionally, no internet. It was like, it was remote as you could get really. And it was a bit of a culture shock for me. Like, because I grew up, my mum was a shearer's cook and dad was a station mechanic. So I grew up on different stations, but really close to town, like little small sheep stations. They had, you know, power lines and all that sort of stuff. So it was a really bit of a culture shock for me. But the more I lived here, the more I, I, I love it. I love it here. And and you'd know as well as I do, Jack, like this becomes part of your identity. So when it, everything around you is part of you and you're passionate about it, and so you want to stay here and you want to make it the best you can possibly be. And, you know, you get attached to everything from the trees to the grass to the little furry creatures, you know, and, and it becomes sort of you, you need to look after it. And, and that's why I call it making a life, not a living, because you could come here and, you know, make a lot more money and really get heavily into infrastructure and, and you know, run a lot more cattle and those sorts of things and and probably make a lot more cash but it's not as sustainable and it's not as responsible I don't think because we've got to hand it on to the next generation so you know slowly steadily build something up so you've got a life because if you're making a living that's only going to last you the end of your lifetime so you've got to make a life that carries on for everyone else and yeah and advocacy is part of that it's making sure that our industries is in good shape if my kids want to participate in it in the future to make it the best it can possibly be. And sometimes it's really hard because not every, everyone's got different ideas and those sorts of things, but like, we don't, I don't think we need to win over the general public. I think they're cool. The people we need to win over are in Canberra um, and the people advising ministers, they're the people we need to win over, but they're always going to be captured by interests bigger with deeper pockets than ours. And that's the challenge. Also probably comes back to like creating that story because the politician can always jump on a story rather than um, quick figures getting shot back at him. And they can also sell that story a lot better further up into the chain of what it is. But as you said before, um, it being a fun thing for you and you being passionate about it is how it's going to be the best for it. But also leaving it for your kids is also a bit of a, your motivation as well behind all the operation along with your hubbies. Yep. Um, what Although you... I'm not, I'm not very, go ahead. No, no, you go. I'm not, I'm not very confident that, that many, like, cause I've got three kids, uh, 17, uh, 12, heavy machinery and tractors like he, he'll go cropping path and, yeah. and the middle boy might come back here but Eleanor the youngest um she wants to be a bee farmer so I don't see a big future in bees here for her um how she arrived at that I don't know but she is only eight so god knows where she might end up but her and her middle brother Stephen fight all the time about who's gonna take over the station and um 
he's de- he's decided married. He's going to kick them off. Uh, she won't be allowed to live here, and she's racing <laughs> to get married before him so she can kick him off. So <laughs> it'll be really interesting to see how that, that one plays out in the future. The joys of succession are ahead of them. For yeah. Sure. Um, on that one, what like not for yourself personally, but how do you see succession? I've I've flicked a few points over to you before, or I've seen a few of yours on Twitter, Twitter and stuff. Um, because it sort of flies under the radar. Ag tech gets a bigger rap than succession does. Um, and for farmers across Australia, especially in the outback, um, for your assets to go on to the next generation, um, successfully. Succession needs to be a big part of it. How do you see us improving succession on farms? Succession's probably Ag's dirty little secret, to be honest. I have never been to an event where I haven't spoken to at least one person who is in the midst of a very terrible succession planning battle with their parents. Or they don't have one and they're in their mid-30s, 40s with kids. And that's quite frightening. Um and and it it we lose talent. We're losing massive amounts of talent out of the industry because of it. And there's lots of different reasons. There's, you know, there's the way that things are taxed when you inherit, and there's the way the things are taxed when you change company structures and all those sorts of things. And and then becomes a policy thing about, oh, you know, what what did we get called on the internet the other day? Squatocracy. Um thinking that we're some sort of landed gentry with mountains of cash um be nice but unfortunately not true for most of us um you know it's those sorts of things are are holding the industry back and we're losing talented people out of the industry and it's destroying families and it shouldn't it shouldn't be so hard and if older people listen to your podcast, Jack, I will say this to them now. If you invite your adult children back to farm and you don't have a succession plan in place, that is child abuse because you are sacrificing their future for yours and that's unacceptable. Yeah. Even if you don't have all the e details worked out, you need to at least have a framework that they can sign up to because as things get more expensive and life gets more complicated, people can't work for a handful of silver um, and raise a family on a farm anymore. Like we've got real bills to pay. We've got boarding school fees to pay, you know, all these sorts of things. And as seasons get more unreliable and prices fluctuate more, the station or the farm also can't cover everyone's expenses the same way it used to. So this needs to be a real good, long, hard think about how this is going to work. But that's too hard, you know, people, it, it's too uncomfortable. And there's a lot of facilitators out there doing really, really good work, but there's not a think engaging those people costs a lot of money. And if you're the second generation that's trying to get a succession plan up, you often don't have access to the sort of money that you need to bring in these specialists. And the people with the checkbook, they're not going to do it because they're quite happy the way things are. And it's really sad and it's, and it, it's something that I think we should address as a matter of urgency. But, um, yeah, it goes back to that. You drive around in your motor car all day and you think you're the smartest person in the world. So how can someone else help you fix a problem that you can't figure out? So, yeah, it's one of those things. It's bloody dynamic, especially like it'd be super simple if all farms were the same, but 
no one's the same like their family dynamics change um from neighbor to neighbor and however but hopefully well the next 10 years will be the biggest transfer of assets um that we've ever seen in agriculture anyway so it won't be interesting to see how it pans out but um there's a few expectations there and a lot of assumptions getting thrown about i think farmers younger young and old assume too much they don't talk um me as well included but hopefully trying to take those sort of things out in what that is so hopefully putting pen to paper will actually put your expectations out for everyone in the family um, is pretty important it is and if you want to maintain a family unit and if you want to still talk because like the number of older people that i know that don't talk to their brothers and sisters anymore like yeah. you know is what is the value of this if it's going to cost you your family or you know if not saying the family that all of them are great because some families are not great and you'd be happy to see the back of them but yeah it's it's something that needs to be addressed and yeah. we're not i don't think we're paying enough attention to it because it's a it's a it's a, a discussion that makes everyone really uncomfortable because the older generation is like i've worked hard for this you know, I vested my blood, sweat and tears. And that's, that's how my father treated me, which is great. But we don't live like that anymore. Like we also now have high speed internet and, and phones and, that don't connect to the wall anymore. Like times change. So you need to change and change is uncomfortable and it's hard. Bloody oath. For, for this conversation, um, what's something that you think that we've missed? What's something that's big on your radar at the moment within within your own operation um, as a family or in general? Oh, in our own op operation, I think it's really, this, the, the, it's not like, I'd, I'd like to call it staffing issue, but it, it's more than that. It, it's Is it a community issue the, with no one around? Yeah, well, like we don't really have what, what you would call a community, I guess, yeah. like because we've got a small town 75 k's away. But people don't live there. It's it's just sort of like a roadhouse. Yeah. Everyone there's already got a job. You can't go there and find someone who's just left school because there's no school there. <laughs> um, it, it, it's more than that. It's it's a, just a lack of I don't know whether it's a lack of interest in the industry and NFF through the AgriFutures programs trying really hard to do that. But I think there's also a lack of appreciation for the role that farmers play when you get someone who's a complete novice never been outside of town they have to load you have to teach them everything like from the very basics of driving a motor car like a manual motor car yeah. most of them don't even drive drive it automatic you have to teach them how to drive a motor car you have to teach them all those what we think are basic life skills and at the same time we have to pay people a good wage while we're teaching them all these things it puts a lot of people off employing people because it's not worth the hassle and it's not worth the drama. And, and it there's only two of us in the, in this operation and it takes one person completely out of the operation while you're training someone yeah. because they need supervision constantly because otherwise they're in danger and you can't put someone in danger. Yeah. So it's, how do we fix that? How do we address that? And, you know, it's, it's something that's baffled me for quite some time because you also don't want your employee to be disadvantaged. You don't want them to, because it's time to change. You can't expect people to work for nothing. They have to earn a wage and pay yeah. their bills. So how do we 
how do we fix that situation? I think there's possibly an answer out there. But, um, yeah, because once you start talking about training people and those sorts of things, then, then people like unions and stuff get involved, which always make me a little bit cautious because, you know, ag is a sort of a very unique sort of a workplace because farms are different from, you know, operations differ very greatly from one to another. So how do you make sure that everyone's safe and looked after in every operation? And you can't take a, a standard that you'd put on a shop employee and then apply that to agriculture because it's a very different lifestyle and a very different type of industry. So how do we make sure that everyone's looked after and everyone's needs are met? And again, I think it's one of those things that's just been put in a too hard basket that, that we can't really fix or talk about because there's no will there to do it because it involves opening us and our operations up to scrutiny and a lot of people don't want that. So, yeah, um, that's probably one of the things that concerns me about the industry moving forwards. Absolutely. Like we were, we had a young bloke for about a month or something and he was tossing and turning what sort of trade he wanted or if he wanted to be in agriculture, he ideally wanted to be on a farm in agriculture as a farm hand sort of role to build himself up. Um, we're happy to have him, but then he also wanted a piece of paper and there was no ag training around us. Like we had certs, I did cert three, four in my gap year and he could build up into diploma and then go into um, university as a, what is it? As an L, like over 25, I think it is to get mm. acceptance into the uni programs if you want. Um, but because this isn't available in his region, he's sort of, he's left, left our place and he's going to be electrician um, locally here in, in and around Dubbo because that's a, that's a bit of a safety net for him, but there's no safety net for any new entrant trying to get in. They love farming. They love the lifestyle. Um, they love the livestock, the cropping, whatever sort of sector you're in. Um, that's probably a huge avenue where we're losing some good talent as well. Well, we lose a lot of people, especially to the mining industry, because it's it's yeah. it's good money. It's a terrible lifestyle, but it is good money. And that sort of lack of a, a framework, I guess, that you can fit young people into, and employees and employers need support through that. It's like apprentices get it. Like, so why shouldn't somebody yeah. come to work in agriculture get it? And I think also another issue is that, especially with the family-owned operations, there's like always going to be a ceiling where any of your employees hit because obviously, well, not obviously, but it'd be highly unusual for an employee to move into management whilst ever the family's involved. Yeah. And that's not attractive to some people. If they got career ambitions, they want to move right up into management. They want to transition into ownership and a lot of family operations that not, that's not possible for the, for them to fit employees in like that. So that's another thing that we might need to rethink moving forward. Like I have heard of, of farms giving people like shares in the, in the property and those sorts of things, um, you know, but I think we need, I don't know, maybe a more investigation or some sort of framework or something about these sorts of things, because you might want to do that. And then you take that idea to your lawyer and your accountant and they go, Oh no, I wouldn't do that too risky. So yeah. maybe you know there are different things we can do absolutely from from this conversation Julian what would be the one piece of farms advice you'd like to pass on for 
anyone out there looking to get over the hurdle of and have their fuck it moment of posting online, posting their lifestyle, their farm, what they do within agriculture um, to get the right, You'll have to tell uh, me that again, Jack, because you froze. What what would you pass on? What would be your piece of farms advice you'd like to pass on about being an advocate for your sector of the industry? Just do it. You, it you're always going to get detractors. Fuck those guys. Then the only people who are going to throw stones are people who are not doing it themselves. I'll guarantee you that. Yeah. So ignore them. They're not even having a go. And be easy, be be kind to yourself. You're not going to get it right all the time. And be prepared when you to when you've made a mistake. Say, yep, I made that post and I said that thing and that was the wrong thing. And I'm really sorry. Sometimes you'd have to do that because you can't be perfect all the time. Yeah. And people appreciate that. When you make a mistake, if you own up to it, it's only going to enhance your reputation as a person who can admit when they're wrong. Because there's not very many of those sorts of people around. And you know, just have a go. And if if it doesn't work out for you, there's no one that says you have to stay there forever. You can have a go and, and not do it. You can post every six months. You can limit yourself to posting pictures of your grass if you want to. Like whatever interests you, the internet is a really big place. I will guarantee you that there are other people out there who enjoy the same stuff as you and you'll bond over it. A really big and weird place, niching out on whatever it is. Um, I'd like to see someone's grass. Yep. If someone's going to start that account. Um what are you looking forward to for the end of the year? And what's the big project coming up in 24 for you? Oh, look, I've had a kitchen sitting in a box for nearly two years now. So we've got all the tiles, we've got all the cabinets, everything, and we just haven't had a chance to put it in. None of my cupboards in my kitchen have doors. Um, my, my, my tap in my kitchen is actually it's a bent copper pipe. So in the new year, I'd really love to get my kitchen in. That would be awesome. Um, and just a bit more rain over summer. We've had we've had about an inch so far, which is a yep. really nice start. But a bit more in uh, January would be really good. We've probably got the same goals. We must have like an unspoken rule on farm. Anything that we buy must sit on the ground for 10 plus years before we put it up. <laughs> before we build it, yeah. <laughs> so Jillian, station mum. Where... For me, it's... Uh, yeah. For me, it's uh, I'm not. Oh, you think, oh, I have to pull my whole kitchen apart for like yeah. a week <laughs> to get everything done because everything's got to come out. I just like taking that steps, just oh, because then a bore will break steps. down, or, or or then we'll have to like get a truckload of cattle together. So then it'll be two weeks with no kitchen, three weeks with no kitchen, a month with no kitchen. Like that's what's really putting me off. <laughs> you only need a fire and a billy outside. You'll be right. <laughs> you might need that stock camp now but yes Jillian where can we find you online do you want everyone to direct to Twitter to see how you're going uh, yeah sure you can find me I'm station mum on Twitter or X as it's now called and if you're interested in a bit more sort of the the visual type stuff and, and a little less politics we're station life 101 yeah. over on Instagram um, yeah, we, that's where I put all the little funny videos and stuff. So yeah, that's where you can find us. I'll put, I'll put those links into the show notes for anyone looking to connect with you that hasn't, and um, there's not too many people. We're a small, we're a huge industry, but by people, we're quite small, aren't we? We are. Everyone knows everyone. And that's, that's why it's really easy. If you're some sort of faker or some sort of, um, 
terrible person, you'll get found out really quickly. So it, it's uh, in your best interest to just be a genuine, authentic person because yeah, people but... know and people talk, especially, oh, truckies <laughs> especially, they got the most active group chats in Australia. Don't ever piss you off because the whole world will know about it in about five minutes flat. Bloody hell. We'll leave it there, Gillian. Thank you. This Farms Advice episode does not stop here. Come and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, and even join our Facebook group. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more on this episode and spread the hashtag Farms Advice to your mates. If you can leave a review on Apple or Spotify, that will let other farmers find us too. But until then, see you next Tuesday.